In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be comfortable. Good morning. Shortly after seminary, uh, we moved to Baton Rouge. Uh, Emily and Gus, my children, were, um, I don't know, I guess they were 11 and 9. And some friends of ours who had older children, parents who I really uh, respected, um, I, I asked them, you know, some of their tips on parenting. And they said, well, one of the best things that we did for our kids was um, we took them to Mexico. And I said, really? How young were they? They, said, oh, they were really young. And I said, well, is that safe? And they said, oh, it's totally safe. And, and to give a child a cross-cultural experience as, at a young age will change their life forever. And it wasn't too long after that that a friend of mine from seminary who was serving a small church in Oaxaca City, Oaxaca, Mexico, said, listen, I want to go on vacation and I need somebody to cover my services. If you want to come to Oaxaca... You can live in my apartment while I'm gone. You just, just cover the Sunday services. And so, off we went to Oaxaca City, Oaxaca, which is in like the southern part of the southern part of Mexico, to this wonderful city. I remember arriving long after dark, never having been there before, with a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old, and, and Holly, my wife at the time, and... They let us out of this cab. None of us really spoke Spanish. And all I had was kind of some, an email from Mary Ann saying, this is where the key will be and this is how you get in. And, and I thought, what have I done to my children? <laughs> but my friends were right. They also told me that once the dust of Central America gets on your heart, it will be there forever. And they've been right about that, too. It was a few days into the trip. We were in the, the square, the Zocalo, and um, Gus was playing on one of those handheld gaming devices. And I have this series of pictures. Um, the first is of him playing the gaming device. And then the next picture is this little kid from the town kind of uh, standing next to him, watching him playing the gaming device. And the last picture, the kid is playing the gaming device. <laughs> and Gus is watching him. That cross-cultural experience did change uh, all of us. Our understanding of who we are, our understanding of who other people are, and, and, our, and our place with them, those those times where we go into those borderlands, where we cross those boundaries, forever change how we see ourselves and how, and how we see the world. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Of course they have. Their eyes have been opened. Not just to the light of Christ, but to the, the light of this kingdom of God that Jesus came and proclaimed. And in doing so, healed all of the illness and cured all of those diseases. Jesus offers that for us too. 
Now, it's important to remember in this, this, this land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali that we hear about both in the Isaiah reading and in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, we need to remember what that's about. Because I don't know about you, but I don't remember learning a whole lot about the land of Zebulun. What about the land of Naphtali? No. Yeah. Well, to give you an idea, and this is who Isaiah the prophet is talking to, Zebulun and Naphtali are two of the ten lost tribes of the twelve tribes of Israel. Did you get all that? Okay, so you remember Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob had, of the patriarchs, had twelve sons, and, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Jacob's 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. And during David's monarchy, all 12 of those tribes are united. And it lasts about 20 minutes, more or less. And then the 10 tribes um, split off into the northern kingdom. And the two tribes are left in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom generally referred to as Israel, the southern kingdom being referred to as Judah, where Jerusalem is. Isaiah is writing from the southern kingdom after those ten tribes had split off and were conquered by the Assyrians. They were lost. Isaiah even says that they left God. And yet, notice what he says. Even there... Even though they're the ones who left, even in that land of the Gentiles, across the Jordan, even there, those people in their darkness have seen a great light. The light of God shines on them, too. It's an amazing prophecy. It's an amazing truth that Isaiah proclaims. Even in that borderland, the light of God shines on them also. So when, when Jesus comes around and John is arrested there in that area of the Jordan close to Judah, Jesus withdraws up to that, that area of Galilee. He moves from Nazareth further up to Capernaum on the northwest part, northwest part of the Sea of Galilee, way up there in the borderlands way up there where there's a Jewish village and then there's a Gentile village and then sometimes there's a Jewish Gentile village. It's a strange place. It's a dangerous place. Zebulun and Naphtali during the day, it was, it was lush. It had a lot of water. It was a beautiful place to live except there were all those Assyrians that kept coming in raiding from time to time. It was a dangerous place. It was a place of vulnerability and yet it was also a life-giving place. When Jesus is walking around that Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and Andrew fishing because they were fishermen and he says, come and follow me and they immediately drop it and walk out of the boat. They don't just leave their nets. They don't just leave their business and their home. They leave everything about who they are. They leave their identity behind. Jesus disrupts all of that. And then when he sees uh, uh, Zebedee's sons, James and John, mending their nets, going about their business with their dad, and they, he says, come follow me, and what do they do? 
immediately say, yeah, these nets are hopelessly entangled. <laughs> and they follow him. Do you see that he is disrupting? He's calling them into the borderlands of Zebulun and Naphtali, this Galilee of the Gentiles, this world where it's not so clear cut. He's calling them to a place where they give up their identity as fishermen, as Zebedee's sons. And instead, their eyes are open to this new light. They have a different way of seeing. When Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, I think so often we think of repent um, written on one of those big signs that those people carry around the French Quarter during Mardi Gras. And there may be very well some things that we need to repent from during the season of Mardi Gras. But repent also, at its root, that metanoia means to have a change of heart, to turn from the way that you are going, to have a change of perspective, to see things differently. And what I think Jesus is calling Peter and Andrew and James and John and all those people in that region of the Galilee, what he's calling them to is to change the way they see themselves and the world to change this idea that we are identified only by what we do for a living, how much we make for a living, what kind of nets we have or what kind of cars we drive. He's calling them to repent, to see the world differently. And in that borderland, we are able to see the world differently. We need to be in those borderlands so that we don't define ourselves so rigidly that we don't fall into the trap of defining ourselves by who we are not. That we open our eyes to see a different way of seeing the world. And when we do, it's amazing how illnesses and disease is cured. There's a, um, a wonderful story I heard this week about uh, seeing the world and each other differently and, and, and how it does have the power to cure not just physical illness but the disease of our society. Uh, Brian Stevenson is a, um, a lawyer who grew up in Alabama. He um, uh, grew up poor, grew up black in Alabama and grew up... Um, eventually to go to Harvard Law School. He graduated and decided that he would dedicate his career to defending people on death row. He wrote a book, a memoir of that work called Just Mercy that has recently been turned into a movie. So you may have heard of him. Um, he tells this story, he, his uh, Equal Justice Initiative, uh, this nonprofit that they started, ha have recently opened two museums in Montgomery. One is to memorialize the victims of lynchings a largely untold, incredibly unfortunate part of our nation's history. And he told this story on Fresh Air with Terry Gross this week um, uh, about this woman, this incredibly courageous woman who went to one of their um, uh, sessions and what they asked people to do would be to go to uh, lynching sites and gather up soil from these sites, put them in these glass jars and bring it back to the museum so they could have it on. It's a way to redeem and, and, and restore and reclaim some of that soil, that sacred story that had not been told. And so this middle-aged African-American woman 
despite her great trepidation, took a, a jar and uh, a memo uh, uh, that kind of described this particular lynching that happened at this particular site. And she went out somewhere in rural south and she got a little hand shovel in her jar and she was about to start digging when this pickup truck slowed down and stopped and watched her. So she began to dig and then she realized it had turned around and was stopped and this large white man was walking towards her. And he says to her, what are you doing? And she had been coached by the Equal Justice Initiative that if she, if she didn't want to, she didn't have to say. She could just say, I'm just getting some soil for my garden. But she said, I don't know what, what came over me, but something took hold of me. And I stood up and said, a black man was lynched on this site in 1931 and now I'm gathering soil to honor his life. And then she said, uh-oh. <laughs> and, um, and this man paused for a minute and said, does that piece of paper talk about that? May I see it? And he read it, and then he said, can I help you? And they got down on their knees together and they began to dig. And she said that um, she offered him her hand shovel, and he said, no, no, no. And he was just throwing his hands in the dirt. And she said her, his hands were becoming black. And then she, um, he looked over, and he noticed that she was crying. And he said, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Have I upset you? And she says, no, you've blessed me. And they kept digging some more, and they were just about finished. And, he, and then she looked over at him, and his shoulders are shaking, and she realizes that he's crying. And she says, are you okay? And he says, no, I'm not. I, I can't help but wonder if my grandparents were involved in the lynching of this man. And they knelt there together and cried. And then they pulled themselves together and they said, he says, I want to take a picture of you with this jar. And she says, I want to take a picture of you with this jar. <laughs> And then they walked together, that, they took that jar together and placed it in the exhibit together. And Brian Stevenson quickly adds, this doesn't happen all the time, <laughs> unfortunately. But it can happen, it can happen when we have the courage to go beyond our borders. When we are willing to see ourselves defined and identified by something more than just the country we came from, or what we do for a living, or how much we made last year, what political party we belong to, where we stand on this issue or that issue. When we see ourselves as children of God, walking in this land of borderland, where things aren't so clear and where we do feel vulnerable, amazing things can happen. Amazing things can happen when we answer Jesus' call to be more than we think we are, to be who we truly are, when we fall down on our knees together. We don't have to go to Oaxaca to do that. We can just go to the grocery store and we can look through eyes that have been enlightened by this good news, Galilee of the Gentiles, on us, on all of us, this light has shined. May we repent. May we have a change of heart 
May we change the way we see the world and each other. And sure enough, the illnesses, the sickness, the diseases that we live with will be healed.